Good morning, friends. It's good to see you here today. I appreciate you coming out and and uh, uh, worshiping together. I think it's uh, a bit ironic that uh, our topic today is unity in the in the local church, and 50% of us is 50 miles away up on the lake. Um, I'm not sure who's in sin, them or us, but um, we're not together to <laughs> hear the message of unity. But I am going to be um, sending my manuscript out via Realm later on today in hopes that uh, people will listen and, and uh, read and participate in this. And, and the reason I'm going to do that is because of the, the important nature of these verses and the, and the subject matter that they address. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9, with a focus on verses 2 and 3. This really is a mini-series on unity in the church that essentially began last Sunday, and we'll continue for the next few. We're going to be talking about unity in the church and the importance that unity is to growing in your faith as a believer. The importance unity is to being a joyful gospel partner. And so I hope that you'll, you'll participate with us um, in this series and, and be sure to take in all portions of it just because of the, I think, the importance that the Holy Spirit places on this. Uh, as you know, standing firm as a Christian in our culture, at least our current culture, and even in our current pandemic crisis, is challenging, to say the least. Uh, I would say it's more important today to focus on these things than ever in the history of God's people. Because it's so easy to not be unified. It's so easy to accept uh, the the disagreements that seem to flourish in this environment. But in a world that is being turned upside down right in front of our eyes, I think it's critical that we consider these words from Philippians chapter 4 verses 1 through 9 seriously and personally. And that understanding that it's going to be a challenge to apply them uh, to our daily living. Remaining steadfast as a Christian in our culture is the focus of these verses. Uh, if you neglect this part of the Christian life, that is pursuing unity, uh, pursuing steadfastness, then your chances of standing firm will greatly diminish and I think you will certainly lose your joy that God intends for us as Christians to experience. Paul, as you know, was a pastor uh, I think probably one of the greatest pastors to ever live was the Apostle Paul. Uh, and he wrote this short letter to a group of Philippians that were his personal friends that uh, were members of a church that he planted and he loved dearly. And they loved him dearly. His pastoral desire for these people was to build up their joyful, godno, joyful, joyful godly partnership um, and one thing that would interrupt achieving this joyful gospel partnership would be an interruption of their steadfastness, uh, interruption of their unity, 
that will undermine Paul's intent to build up joyful gospel partners. Last week from this fourth chapter, verse 1, I mentioned to you a couple of ways that we could stand firm based on Paul's words there in that verse. Today I'm going to show you another way that Paul says is critical to standing firm as a joyful gospel partner. If you're a Christian, you are called to, exhorted to, be a joyful gospel partner. This letter was written to accomplish that. I hope that you've been experiencing that to a greater and greater degree if we looked at the details of this letter. But that is what Paul is after. And I want you to listen as I read uh, these nine verses for you and see how Paul is describing unity in the local church and the influence or impact it has on being a joyful gospel partner. So listen, read along with me if you'd like. Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Iodia and I entreat Sintichi to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. These are important words, Christian friends. I really hope to hold your attention, to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you personally about your life as it relates to unity in the body of Christ. What I want you to see here, and what I'm going to spend the next couple of weeks explaining is the critical importance of harmony and unity in the body of Christ at Sun Valley. Not just the body of Christ generally, but at Sun Valley specifically. Unity will bring us the joy that God intends for us to have, the joy that Paul wanted these Philippian believers to experience. Unity will bring that. Lack of unity will rob that. All right, so let's dive into this thing and see what we can learn from the Holy Spirit here. The fellowship, community, and mutual love of the local body of Christ are, in fact, important features of being firm or standing firm in the Lord. Paul knew, and every Christian will ultimately experience, uh, that without a constant, intimate, mutual upbuilding of Christian relationships in the local body, the stability of the Christian life is in grave danger. Do you feel a little bit of instability in your Christian life? Well, let me tell you something. It has a lot to do with this passage. Please listen. So <clears throat> do not put yourself in grave danger by ignoring the importance of unity in the body of Christ. What I'm saying is this. If you are a Christian, you need the local church. If you're a Christian, you need the local church. You must have intimate, connected, 
and harmonious Christian relationships in the local body of believers if you want to grow in your faith and remain strong as a Christian. I don't mean friends that are Christians. I mean Christian friendships. There's a massive difference between those two things. So the difference between friends that are Christians and Christian friendships is significant. Christian friendships are those that encourage each other with spiritual truth. Christian friendships are those that exhort one another with godly expectations. Christian friendships are those that pray for each other's spiritual growth and perseverance. Friends that are Christians don't do that. It's fine to have friends that are, that are Christians, but you need Christian spiritual friends in the Christian life. The church is designed by God to be the primary source of spiritual strength for every believer. All the one another's of the New Testament that you're familiar with demonstrate the importance of being connected to the local body of Christ and is the means to remaining spiritually strong and vibrant. So <clears throat> don't be confused about your uh, spiritual uh, weakness or the lack of your spiritual interest if you aren't connected to the body of Christ where this love is practiced. Listen to how the author of Hebrews says this concerning the importance of fellowship, fellowship and intimate connection between believers. He says this, Take care of brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading to you to fall away from the living God. Exhort one another every day as long as it's called to today, called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So, you will be hardened, spiritually hardened, if this pursuit of intimate, connected, harmonious Christian relationships isn't a priority to you. That's what Paul's saying. That's what the author of Hebrews just said. That's what I want to communicate to you today. Some think that the key to harmonious relationships is not to have any. Are you one of those people? The key to harm harmony in relationships is not to have any. I heard somebody say once that the church is perfect if it weren't for people, right? Well, that's said tongue-in-cheek, but we need to make sure that we don't embrace that attitude. If you isolate yourself from other believers in the local church, you will begin to wither, fade, and die spiritually. There was a pastor once who went to visit a man from his church that he hadn't seen in a while. In fact, it had been a long while since this church member had been in attendance. And so he went to visit the man at his house and the man answered the door and invited him in and invited him to sit in front of the fireplace with him. And the pastor who came over unannounced sat down and didn't say a word and, and the man felt a little awkward and the silence continued and continued. Finally, the pastor got up, grabbed the tongs and pulled out a hot coal from the fire and sat it on the hearth and sat back down to continue this awkward silence, which went on for a long time. The man thought the pastor came, he should be the one to talk, and the pastor was there making a point. Soon, that coal burned down and was cold and black, and the pastor says, well, it's time for me to go, and uh, I hope to see you soon. And the man said, Pastor, I've heard your communication loud and clear. I'll be there on Sunday. Do you know what the man saw? Separated from the fire, the coal turns black and useless. Separated from the church, you lose the joy, the point of being a Christian. Be connected in a real way to the body of Christ. 
Show me an isolated Christian, and I'll show you an immature Christian at best, and at worst, a self-deceived non-Christian. Did you hear me? Show me an isolated Christian, and I'll show you an immature Christian at best, and a self-deceived non-Christian at worst. The church is made up of Christians who gather and build one another up for mutual spiritual benefit. We must have harmonious fellowship if we intend to stand firm. I know that you intend to stand firm in your mind, in your heart. That's your desire. But are you standing firm? Do you know how to stand firm? Paul is writing this letter to a group of believers, young believers, a young church, to inform them how to stand firm joyfully. Let's pay attention to this, Sun Valley. Let's learn from this. This is a critical issue that Paul is addressing in these nine verses. Notice that he actually named two women who couldn't seem to get along, but it was affecting the entire health of that local church. You know, how would you women like that to be named in this sense, uh, not just by your pastor, but by the Apostle Paul? You know, I thought of something. I don't know what you think about it. We'll take a poll here in a minute. But if there are people that aren't getting along in our church once we get back inside, we'll just list their names on the overhead. Would that be a good idea? You think that'd be all right? Well, this is what Paul's doing here. He's listing the names of people on the overhead. Uh, Yodia and Sintichi aren't getting along. We'll see what happens. You know, these two women were not just your run-of-the-mill women in the church. These were solid, prominent women who had been leaders in this church. Paul knew that broken relationships in the local church can destabilize an entire church, so he addressed it head-on by naming names. What a wake-up call for those of us who have been Christians for a long time. To realize that mature Christian people with long-standing reputations, long-standing histories in local churches can be tripped up and be used by the enemy to disrupt the cause of Christ in your local church is sobering, isn't it? At least it is to me. None of us are exempt from needing to be on guard for this disunity problem. Disunity between Christians can upend the stability of of the believers and threatened to capsize a church into utter chaos. Something as simple as not getting along. Well, let's unpack this, all right? Let's get into the details. First point that I want to make to you that I think Paul makes here uh, concerning the importance of Christian unity. The importance of Christian unity. First of all, the Holy Spirit takes unity seriously. Did you know that, that God takes unity seriously? You know, the idea behind inspiration. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote what he wrote because the Holy Spirit inspired him to do so. The Holy Spirit takes this seriously. The Holy Spirit's job, we learned from hearing uh, Ephesians chapter 4 read to us just a moment ago, the Holy Spirit's job is to maintain the unity in a local body. That's his job. And so if we're not maintaining unity in the body, he is grieved. This is why he says he's grieved at the end of Ephesians 4 when there's grumbling, complaining, arguing, and not getting along. It says he's grieved. The Holy Spirit takes this seriously because unity is in his department. Not to mention that the Godhead lives in perpetual unity. Our unity is a picture of the relationship that exists in our triune God that we worship. 
So when you and I aren't getting along, when there is disunity in the, in the family of God, it's a reflection on God. The Holy Spirit takes this seriously. Secondly, Christian unity is for Christians. Did you notice how he ended his entreaty with Yodia and Sintichi? He says, agree in the Lord. Agree in the Lord. And then he says, whose names are written in the, in the book of life. These people were Christians. Paul was not questioning their, their position in Christ. He was concerned with what their disunity was causing the body of Christ. They were Christians. Christ, unity is for Christians. Everyone, as surprising as this may sound to you, everyone is not in the family of God, even though there are many who talk and teach as if they were. Um, they say things like, we are all brothers and sisters in God's universal family. We are all part of God's creation. We are members of the human race. We all have common ancestry. We're all brothers and sisters. And in a human sense, we are, but not in a spiritual sense. You remember how Jesus addressed the Pharisees in John 8? He didn't call them children of God. He called them children of what? Satan. You are of your father, the devil, is what he said to them. Not everyone is in the family of God. Christian unity is for Christians. There is so much agreeable territory that we as Christians can navigate, and yet we seem to find the ones that we can't agree on, that are disagreeable. If you are in the family of God, then you have a common ground with every other believer, and you should walk in that path. Everything in the Christian life flows from being in God's family. There must be a moment in your life, as, as Dennis explained earlier, there must be a moment in your life when you acknowledge to God that you are a sinner in need of his grace and mercy. You need to ask him for his forgiveness. You need to pursue a relationship with him and based on the, the grace of God towards us. And, of course, we base this request to God and forgiveness of our sin on our belief or on our faith that Jesus Christ, in fact, died on the cross for me and my sins. What did he do on that cross? He exchanged his righteousness with my sin. Have you come by faith to that place? If you have, you are in the family of God. If you have, you should be in a local family of God, a, a church, a visible church. Coming to Christ by faith puts you in the invisible family of God. And if you have done that, you, you should be participants, members of a physical, visible body of Christ. And you should do so in a unified way, pursuing unity. I want to spend a moment with you, if I could, talking to you about the phrase, agreeing in the Lord. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Sintichi to agree in the Lord. I want you to think about that phrase, agreeing in the Lord. Paul used that term earlier in this letter. Uh, it was an important theme of this letter. He asked them to agree in the Lord in chapter 2, verse 2. He says, I pray that you would be of the same mind. That word mind is actually the same word as agree in chapter 4. In English, they translated it mind in 2 and agree in four, but it's the same word. It's phroneo in the Greek language. It's the same word with the concept of unity of thought. 
agree in the Lord. In chapter 3, verse 15, he also used the same word to tell his readers that mature people think a certain way. They think, they agree with certain things. That is mature people, mature Christians. So Paul wanted these two ladies to think alike. He wanted them to embrace the same doctrines, the same priorities, with the same humble attitudes. Paul was simply asking them to live in harmony, to have a harmonious relationship. This was an ongoing pastoral concern of the Apostle Paul in all his churches. He was a pastor to the church in Ephesus, Colossae, Corinth, and so forth. He said the same kind of thing to each of them. Listen to what he said to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. I appeal to you, the same strong language. I entreat you, Yodia. I entreat you, Sintichi, Corinthians. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Another apostle, you've heard of Peter, he had the same concerns for the people that he was shepherding. I'm trying to show you that this wasn't a one-off by the Apostle Paul to the Philippian church. All the apostles were concerned with this, including Peter, 1 Peter 3.8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, and tender heart, and a humble mind. This is an ongoing concern for the authors of the New Testament, for the apostles of Jesus Christ and of Jesus Christ himself. Paul asked them to agree in the Lord. And what I think we can say this means is that it points to this important truth. Listen to me. If you are in harmony with Jesus, you will be in harmony with each other. Agreeing in the Lord. If you are in harmony with Jesus, you will be in harmony with each other. You know how that works, right? When you tune instruments do you tune them to each other or do you tune them to a standard? You tune them to a tuning fork. And then you go to the next instrument and you tune it to a tuning fork. That is what we're being called here to do. Tune yourself to Christ. If you're in tune with Christ and I'm in tune with Christ, we will be in tune with one another. Does that make sense to you? That's exactly what Paul is trying to identify here. He said the same thing in chapter 2, verse 5. Have the mind of Christ. Have the same humility. Have the same attitudes. Be like Jesus. Tune yourself to Jesus. It's a humble mind. It's an others-oriented mind. It's an attitude of emptying self for the benefit of others. If you ever find yourself in a place of disagreement or uh, relational struggle with somebody... Uh, you can tell whether or not that you're proceeding uh, as God would have you in glorifying way to Jesus. If you can say yes to this, am, is my attitude one of emptying myself for the benefit of this person I'm in disagreement with? Is this my motive, to empty myself, to consider them, to prefer them? The, the same things listed in chapter 2 of Philippians. If, if so, then you can say, well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to help my brother or sister in Christ see this. If you, can, if you say, well, actually, no, I'm, I'm interested more in my own preference and getting this right. I want to be right here. Then it's probably not glorifying to God. What this means is that we each need to have a personal and intimate walk with Jesus. I'll say it again. Whenever you are in conflict with people, you can bet that your relationship with Jesus is unhealthy. 
Your horizontal relationship with people is a barometer of your vertical relationship with Christ. God uses people to bring about sanctification in the Christian life. If you want to be an effective, joyful gospel partner, you'll need to be agreeing with, getting along with, being in a harmonious relationship with other believers. Christian unity is for Christians. Third, the reason that this is an important subject is Christian unity is evangelistic. Christian unity is evangelistic. Do you see that in this passage? Did you notice how Paul described these two women in view? What did he say about them? He said, these women who worked with me for the cause of Christ, who joined me in the cause of the gospel. They labored with Paul to be evangelist in the city of Philippi. They were on the ground floor. They were probably some of the first Christians in Philippi, along with Lydia and the jailer. In Paul's mind, Christian unity cannot be separated from evangelism. Paul's concern for these two women included the effect that their disunity would have on the evangelistic efforts of this small, fledgling church. I mean, disunity is, is bad no matter what size the church, but imagine yourself being in a small, fledgling church and not being able to get along with the people in that church. It makes no sense. And, and it was a concern to Jesus, which is why he taught so much on this particular subject with his disciples. Remember John 13, 34 and 35? A new commandment I give you, not a new suggestion, a new commandment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. All men will know, will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus knew that unity and evangelism go together. It would be incongruous to say, hey, why don't you come to our church and, and listen to our pastor and enjoy our fellowship? None of us can get along, but please come. No, that makes no sense. Jesus commanded us to love one another. It's, it was on the forefront of Jesus' mind. You remember his prayer in John 17, verse 21? When he was just about to go to the cross, he prayed this to his father. I asked that they, that is Christians, may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. One of the ways that your neighbors, that your co-workers, that your relatives will believe that God the Father sent God the Son in the world to save sinners is by you and me getting along. That's what Jesus said in John 13. It's what he prayed in John 17. It's what Paul said here in Philippians 4. It's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians. It's what Peter said in chapter 1. It's all the same. Our relationships matter. They must be harmonious. Jesus knew that disunity in his church would undermine the gospel message. Let's move to the second point in these verses. You'll see this at the very beginning of verse 2. The mutual responsibility of Christian unity. My first point under this um, section is that Christian unity is personal. Can you get more personal than calling someone's name in a book of the Bible? Talk about it being exposed. You thought it would be a little bit horrendous to even hear the thought of having your name on an overhead. How about having your name in a book in a negative way inspired by God himself? 
I know our overheads are important to you, but they're not inspired. <laughs> this is a bad way for your name to show up, in other words, in Scripture. Yodia and Sintichi, as I said earlier, were prominent women in the church in Philippi. These were the ones mentioned in Acts 16 when the church was first started. They had a vested interest in the health of the Philippian church. In fact, some scholars believe that this is what their disagreement was about, how best to promote the gospel from their church. Whatever it was, they were in disharmony over it, and it was causing a major problem in this church. Many of you can relate to how these two women may have felt about their church. Many of you were here from the beginning. Many of you were involved at Sun Valley Church since the very beginning. And you also have a vested interest in the well-being of this body of believers. You were there when we met up at Westside Baptist Church Youth Center for six months. You were there when we gathered ourselves up and went out to East Valley High School to meet at the high school. You were there when we set up and tore down all of our church equipment every single week for eight years. You were there when we started talking about the need for a church building. You were there when we actually received this church as a gift, God-given gift to us from another church. You were there when we personally sacrificed high and low, for the, including money and time, to make this happen. Do you remember how this place looked when we first got it? Many of you do not, but some of you do. You have a vested interest in the well-being of this church. Even if you weren't here throughout all that saga that I just went through, you have a vested interest in the church you attend. The longer you're here, the more interest you have. These women, Yodia and Sintichi, had a vested interest in the Philippian church. I know that, that many of you have that same heart's desire for this church. And the reason I say that Christian unity is personal here is because Paul mentions names of people, and we each have a personal responsibility. Just like the responsibility you took to make Sun Valley Church happen, we should take that kind of responsibility to make unity happen at Sun Valley. You personally have a responsibility for the unity at this church, even if you've been here one week or 17 years. I, I think you know what I'm saying. You know, I, I think that, that you need to, to hear me say this in this way. Uh, in the same way that, that we probably wouldn't have accomplished what we accomplished if we, if we all lacked the commitment to this church that we had, God used your commitment to this particular body of Christ to accomplish this that we've experienced uh, so wonderfully over the last 17 years. That level of commitment you need to have towards unity in the body of Christ, who each must take personal responsibility for unity and harmony here and Christian unity is just as much your responsibility as it is mine as the pastor of this church. Do you understand that? You see the seriousness of this, the importance of this? I have no more responsibility for the Christian unity of this church than you do. I have no more responsibility than anyone at this church. I must make every effort 
to be in a harmonious relationship with you and you with me and us with everybody else at Sun Valley. The pastors, elders, deacons, small group leaders cannot pursue unity for you. It's a personal thing. You personally have to be involved. Do you want to be a part of a loving, harmonious, unified church? Of course you do. Then you must take responsibility to see that it happens. You can't stand off in the corner, as I've heard people say to me, and complain that SVC isn't friendly or welcoming because nobody said hi to me. Well, you know what the question is, right? <laughs> Who did you say hi to? It is everybody's responsibility to pursue the unity and harmony in a local church. Many commentators believe that this was one of the primary reasons this particular letter was written. As much as we talked about joyful gospel partnerships, many commentators are saying this joyful gospel partnership rests on harmonious relationships within the body of Christ. That's why this letter was written. So he could expose the problem at the Philippian church starting with Yodia and Sintichi. Notice that Paul pleaded with each of these ladies individually. Do you see that there in verse 2? He says, I plead or I entreat Yodia, and I entreat Sintichi. He didn't say, I entreat Yodia and Sintichi. If he would have said that or written that, Sintichi would have said, and all of her group would have said, see, Paul listed Yodia first. She's the biggest problem. He didn't. He said, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Sintichi. Paul didn't care who was right or wrong. Paul didn't care what they were arguing about. He cared that the name of Christ was being shamed. He cared that the church unity and love and support was being undermined and that ultimately their joyful gospel partnership was being damaged. That's what Paul cared about. And so he entreated both of these women. Many times in our disagreements, it's the very same as these two women. It really doesn't matter who's right or who's wrong. What matters, what's important, is that we treat each other as we should in a God-glorifying, Christ-honoring way. It's okay to have disagreements, but do so in a Christ-glorifying way. As he said in chapter 2, we need to avoid selfish ambition. We need to pursue humility. We need to put each other's interests before our own. Compared to the lofty doctrines that we've been studying in chapter 2 and 3 about Christ and salvation, this seems to be quite the digression, doesn't it? Oh yeah, and you two ladies, why don't you get along, please? Well, let me tell you, it's of no less importance than the doctrines of Christ and salvation. That's why it's included in this very same section. Ten verses earlier, we just got through reading about justification by faith. Now he's talking about getting along as Christians. All these things are critically important. It tells you how important Paul really thought this to be, how serious the problem was. Disunity can have immense rippling effect all over the local church, all over the local community, and frankly, around the world. The, the church is still dealing with some famous disagreements within the church throughout history. We still have to answer questions from people in this community who've heard about famous disagreements between Christians in history. These two prominent women 
has served with Paul. They planted the church with Paul, but they were ripping it apart with their disagreement. These two women had been gospel partners with Paul, Clement, Epaphroditus, and the others mentioned in verse 2 and 3. Paul took the direct approach to this problem. He couldn't afford them to misunderstand. He had laid it out gently prior to this in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. And now in chapter 4, he says, forget it. I got to nail it head on. He couldn't afford them misunderstanding what he was saying. The second thing I want you to see about Christian unity here is that it requires all of us to participate. Christian unity requires each of us to participate. I know that we're in a culture that abhors the practice of sticking noses into places they don't belong. I know we like to say things like, mind your own business. But when it comes to the issue of Christian unity, all that goes out the door. In fact, I'm going to argue that you need to get involved, that you must stick your nose into someone else's business. It is incumbent. It's required of us to do so. Notice how Paul calls in the help of others in the church here in Philippi who were around these two struggling women. He mentions Clement and those who worked with he and Clement to plant the church, those whose names are written in the book of life. And then he refers to this guy named True Companion. You see that? He goes, yes, I ask you also, True Companion, to help these women. He's calling in other from the Philippian church to help these two struggling women. Companion, that word companion there was probably the actual name of the person that Paul was speaking to. Companion is translated from the Greek word suzagos. The guy's name was probably suzagos. And he says, suzagos, you are in fact a true companion. Your name means companion. Now be a companion to these two women. Come alongside of them. Parakaleo, be alongside with them and help them. That's what Paul was asking. Whoever this was, he was probably a joyful gospel partner that Paul could defend on, that Paul knew well. And so he asked this man, along with Clement and the others, to come around these women and help resolve their disagreements. Christian unity requires all of us to participate. So, Christian, Sun Valley Church Christian, are you aware of anyone not getting along in this church? Think for a moment. Are you aware of anyone not getting along in this church? Maybe it's you. Maybe it's you and your sibling. Maybe it's you and your small group leader. Maybe it's you and your spouse. It's the responsibility of joyful gospel partners to come alongside those who are struggling, no matter who they are, and encourage their agreement in the Lord. This isn't sticking your nose into someone's business. This is loving the people of God. It's loving the church. It's what's best for the church. It's caring for the body of Christ. So, are you struggling with anybody? It's serious. Don't neglect it. Don't, don't rest before you deal with it. And if you can't deal with it on your own, bring in a suzagos to have that person help you with the person you're struggling with, even if it's your spouse. Secondly, do you know of any who are struggling relations, relationally? Get involved. That's what 
Paul is saying here. You are not a bystander. You're not on the sidelines watching the game. You're in the game. You must participate. In fact, I would say it's a sin of equal proportion to not getting along, to not participate. To not help someone that you know is struggling relationally is just as sinful as being one of those who is struggling relationally. Get involved. Be a Susagos. Be that Clement. Be those whose names are in the book of life, who've worked alongside Paul and the others to plant the church, to resolve this all-important relationship between two God-fearing people. The cause of Christ is at stake. Christian joy is at stake, yours and theirs. Friends, listen, Sun Valley Church is at stake. Let's just not ignore the things because we're not involved. Let's be committed to the local body of Christ as we've been called to. Pray with me. Father, as challenging as this is and as important as it is, we acknowledge our inadequacy for the matter. Thank you for including this passage of Scripture in your inspired words so that we might learn from the Apostle Paul, might learn from the Philippians' struggle on how to be more joyful gospel partners here at Sun Valley Church. Help us to not neglect our own relationships. Um, help us not to ignore the struggling relationships around us that others may be hurting with. Help us to be those joyful gospel partners who, who take on the responsibility that we've been given in Christ to be members of the local body, to be loving members of the local body. Bless Sun Valley Church, Father. Help us to be these kind of brothers and sisters who care deeply about one another, who are in harmonious, united relationships with one another. Bless us, Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.